0: Today on the Zabecast, what's a stat and what is not a stat? I know two things that aren't stats, the rest you can debate. Who's ready for another edition of, man, the NFL sure does treat their cheerleaders like shit, and a cricket scandal that has rocked the sport on multiple continents? Put down that baseball mitt, people, and make room for me. You got an hour to kill, then buckle up and let's go! Here we go! Thursday, March 29, 2018, the start of baseball season. Happy baseball, everybody. Settle in for a nice little 162-game, five-and-a-half-month jaunt through the national pastime, through multiple seasons, from the bone-chilling, wet spring in much of the north and the east to the sweltering depths of August on to the equally frigid and flurry-ridden October when we'll settle this thing once and for all. Hopefully it'll be my Nationals year. It's been, it's been a few times. Well, this is another year in which my baseball team, I should not complain, because we have an excellent ball club again this year. And we are predicted to win the NL East again. And we are amongst the favorites to win the World Series. Not the favorite, but we are in the mix. Obviously, the Yankees are formidable. The Red Sox are formidable. The Astros, your defending World Series champs, are very formidable, as are the Dodgers, who beat us last year in Game 5. With Clayton Kershaw coming out of the bullpen, and with a half inning from hell, which we're all trying to forget here in D.C. So welcome back, Lord Baseball. I promise here on the ZabeCast to include as many timely baseball scores as as possible, And because I am actually uh, recording this uh, during the 12 o'clock hour here on a Thursday afternoon. Oh, I can give you a score. This just in. Cubs won. Marlins nothing. That is in the top of the first inning down in Miami. The start of the Derek Jeter era as part owner of the Marlins. Not off to a great start. Okay, let's get to it. We'll start with this. What's a stat and what is not a stat? Well, this argument, it's not really an argument, at least not in my book. It's pretty clear cut. Stats are stats and they're like pornography, as the uh, Justice of the Supreme Court once said. You know it when you see it. A stat is something that is a numerical representation of an individual's performance or a collective team's performance. A stat is not a record. A win-loss record is not a stat. And that's what I wanted to talk about here. Bruce Allen sat down uh, to talk to J.P. Finley of Washington's NBC Sports Washington outlet, the cable regional cable carrier here, to talk about how pleased they were that they had acquired Alex Smith. And when asking about, you know... uh, what, what it was that made the Redskins so eager to go out and acquire Alex Smith, aside from the fact that Kirk Cousins was leaving and they were not going to be able to resign him, uh, GM Bruce Allen said, quote, his statistics are easy to see, and then pointed out that he has a winning, he has 50 wins, does Alex Smith, in the last five years. Allen also said it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that that might be the type of guy you want on your football team. Well, thank God for Dan Steinberg, who has written the D.C. sports bog. Yes, bog, I said, for those who don't live here in the D.C. area. Sort of a cheeky twist on a blog. Dan Steinberg began really a, a sports blog that was part of the Washington Post's digital site, as well as their digital offering via tablet and whatnot, and later you know, was ported into the actual paper itself. Dan has done great work writing about all kinds of things, uh, DC sports related in the DC sports bog. And a lot of those things are sort of small things, minutiae, stuff that's said, transcriptions of radio shows. He joked just recently, because Dan has kind of moved to being a full-time editor and not a full-time writer, he joked that he had finally transcribed his last radio Interview. Well, maybe radio interview, but it's not the last television interview that he would transcribe and make a column out of. He did it with this case. Bruce Allen. His statistics are easy to see about Alex Smith. There's three quarterbacks who have 50 wins the last five years. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that might be the type of guy you want on your football team. Steinberg goes. And takes Bruce Allen to the woodshed on this, pointing out that so you're saying he's better than Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers because they don't have as many wins in the last five years? Yes, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson are the other two in that category with Alex Smith. But as Steinberg points out, if this is all we're going to measure quarterbacks on, that's pretty, it's a pretty thin metric of just wins and losses. More importantly, Steinberg writes, quote, You'd expect a team's decision-makers to be happy with their new quarterback, and you'd expect them to express that happiness as a form of public validation. It isn't just Allen, though. Coach Jay Gruden made the same argument as well on Tuesday. He said the Redskins are, quote, without a doubt better at quarterback now that they have Alex Smith citing his, quote, record the last five years. Okay, well, let's talk about win-loss records, shall we, since Bruce Allen said that win-loss record is the most important thing for not only a quarterback, because he was pressed on this. Let me just give you the back end of it. Uh, J.P. Finley pressed him on it and said, so for you, wins and losses are the most important statistic when it comes to quarterback? Bruce Allen, quote, wins and losses are the most important statistic when it comes to an equipment manager, a team president, a quarterback, a running back, a guard, or a coach. Okay. Uh, Dan Steinberg made a joke about equipment manager stats, and it was a better one than my joke about something like, you know, taped up groins per hour, some other metric for that. Here are the records of the current regime in Washington. Kirk Cousins, who just left, had a record of 26-30-1. That was a winning percentage of 465. 465, that's sub-500. As Spurrier would say, not too good. But guess what? It's the best record of anyone in this discussion. Gruden, his record as coach here is 28-35-1 himself. A win-loss percentage of 445, which is not even as good as Kirk's. Dan Snyder's record as owner since he bought the team is 132-171-1, and one, winning percentage of 436. We're getting even lower. And Bruce Allen who uh, has been here in various titles since coming back uh, at the end of the Vinnie Serrato era and then before Mike Shanahan took over. Bruce Allen, if you take all of his years here and don't try to parse out, well, this year he was actually the GM and because you know, Shanahan was gone, and then the next year they brought in McLuhan. So what counts, what doesn't count? Just the record for Bruce Allen since being here. In Washington, as the team president slash GM slash whatever, as the consigliere to Daniel M. Snyder, Bruce Allen's record is 52 75 and 1 for a percentage of 410, the lowest of the four between Cousins, Gruden, Snyder, and Bruce Allen. Steinberg sums it up by saying the worst sports radio callers and also children believe deeply in quarterback win-loss records he is dead right about that because i take sports radio callers that do believe so so ardently like children believing in santa claus in win-loss records as the ultimate for quarterbacks right steinberg there's really no need to treat an entire fan base like the worst sports radio callers or like children tell us that alex smith had the highest adjusted yards per attempt in the nfl last year which is true Tell us that he had the best quarterback rating in the league last year, which is also true. Tell us he seems to be getting better with age, which is also true. Tell us that you took a tremendous, or, or you tell us that you took a tenuous quarterbacking situation with Kirk Cousins and turned it into something solid, hopeful, affordable, stable, and all the rest, which is also, as Steinberg points out, true. Not a stat win loss record. And guess what else? The other thing that's not a stat? The score. When people say, I don't, I don't care about stats, the only stat I care about is the score on the scoreboard at the end of the game. And eh, no. Score is not a stat. Win-loss records are also not a stat. The Sacramento Kings promised there will be a significant police presence before their next game at home. This, after protests, prevented many fans from attending their game just the other day, this is in the wake of a police shooting of an unarmed black man by the name of Stefan Clark, protesters at the game blocked the entrances, entrances to the Golden One Center at two of the three Kings games. The protesters said, either you stand with us or you go home, and they turned away quite a few fans who obviously thought, hmm, do we really need to go to this Kings game and risk getting beaten by an angry mob? Or should we just turn around and come another day? The team said they will grant refunds to, get, to ticket holders who are unable to get in, and that they are meeting with the mayor, law enforcement, and community leaders to ensure the safety and security of fans on Thursday and future events. This is obviously very welcome news, and overdue, frankly. No matter what you think about police brutality or any other issues, in America at least, I don't want to live by mob rule. And that's what this is. Mob rule. You could say, no, it was a peaceful protest. It's not peaceful when they blockade the entrance to a place of business and pretty much intimate or hint at or suggest, you better turn around if you're not going to stand here and protest with us. That's mob rule. And it doesn't matter how egregious this police shooting might have been. It doesn't matter how righteous the cause may be. I don't want to live in a country where mob rule now becomes the thing. So good for the Sacramento Kings. Let's hope other people speak out against this to say, look, this is not going to win over hearts and minds by blocking the entrances to basketball games, even crappy ones that involve the Sacramento Kings. That's not America. Did we lose a war? That's not America! That's not even Mexico! Exactly. Of course, as uh, Bart once said in The Simpsons to Marge, who was the lone voice opposing Monorail, 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 I believe the line in the song was, Too late, Mom. The mob has spoken. Who wants another cheerleader lawsuit in the NFL? Ooh, ooh, me. I love these. This after the Buffalo Bills cheerleaders. Uh, got into a lawsuit with the league over wages and their humiliating practices to be a Buffalo Jill. That was their nickname. I think it still is. Uh, They said that the the tryouts, they were required to see if their flesh jiggled. They had to attend a golf tournament for sponsors where high rollers paid cash to watch them in bikinis do backflips, Facebook pages monitored by team officials without their knowledge. The Raiders got into it as well with... The team, and I believe their lawsuit went even higher than that. They uh, sued and won thousands of dollars. Uh, the Bengals have had this. The Bucks have had th- The Jets. This is, I mean, the NFL is, they're such gangsters. They run, of course, a multi-billion dollar enterprise. And yet when it comes to the cheerleaders that are the official cheerleaders of the teams, oh, they treat them like absolute shit. And that's on a good day. The latest news is Bailey Davis, a young woman who is a New Orleans Saints cheerleader who was fired from her job, which doesn't pay very much, but she was glad to have it because she posted a photo on her private Instagram involving a one-piece negligee. It's kind of risque. It's kind of sexy. It's really no more revealing than her cheerleading uniform, but the Saint Sations... That's their name. Get it? (laughs) The Saint-Sations. They have strict codes about what you can and can't do, and they've got all kinds of stuff, fraternization rules with the players. Uh, Bailey Davis went on the Megyn Kelly show on NBC and aired her grievance. And according to most who saw the segment, said she was a pretty good face of the cheerleaders, a pretty good representative that she was well-spoken, knew her stuff, and didn't come off as overly shrill or aggrieved, per se. She also said that the fraternization rules between cheerleaders and players are so strict that if she was in a restaurant and a player walks in, totally unrelated, she would have to get up and leave, even mid-meal, if that was the case. That seems pretty drastic. It's amazing that despite the shitty wages, the shitty hours, the shitty treatment, the shitty social media rules, the NFL still finds enough gals that want to go through this and become an NFL cheerleader. So I guess it's supply and demand. They can do all this despite the fact that it's not a good job, ladies. There are better jobs to be had out there, and it's some degree of fame, but really how much degree of fame is it? Frankly, I don't think it's worth it. More fallout on the NFL's targeting rule. And a lot of people saying it's going to be an absolute nightmare when it comes to actually adjudicating it. Others have said, nah, you know what? It's probably going to be another nothing burger. Language the NFL puts in to try to go ahead and cover themselves in the long run and the ongoing lawsuits about concussions and player safety. We don't know. We'll see how it's applied. It It is probably... My prediction right now, and we don't even know the language of the actual rule itself, there's even debate about what the rule should be called. Many writers are calling it the NFL's targeting rule. Those in the league are saying, "Yeah, it's really not that. It's a helmet-to-helmet rule. Whatever the rule is going to be, whatever the language is going to be, it all comes down to just how they apply it. How aggressively do they apply it? And are they really going to kick players out of games in the NFL For hits like this, ejections in the NFL used to be a lot more, not a lot, I wouldn't say frequent, ejections used to happen in the NFL. Let me put it that way. I remember as a kid, Oh, as a kid, I remember uh, back in the day, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I remember players that would get kicked out of games, and it wasn't that big a deal. It's like, okay, well, he uh, lost his, you know, Kyle Turley, loses his mind, throws a helmet, gets in a fight kicked out of a game. You've had instances where Odell Beckham Jr. and Josh Norman pretty much wage gang war on each other and neither one gets kicked out of the game. The modern NFL, the referees are very reluctant to kick guys out of the game. Well now, they're going to have the tool to do it and they're going to have Al Riveron back in headquarters in the eye in the sky in the war room in the review room able to kick guys out remotely. How eager is the league going to be to do this? I don't know. Also, the kickoff thing that this has now cropped up, that kickoffs are too dangerous. They, If they can't make them safer, then they're going to eliminate them. At least that's the hint. That's the threat. This would be a debacle, if you ask me. You can't get rid of kickoffs. You can do things to further make them not quite as insanely dangerous, ways to tinker with them. I've said weight limits, weight limits, weight limits, weight limits. Don't let anyone over a certain weight be on the kickoff team or make kickoffs 10-on-10 or make kickoffs punts, like lined-up punts uh, where you don't have as many bodies running full speed down the field to collide into other bodies running full speed the other direction. There's a lot of things I would do before eliminating the kickoff entirely because how would you handle onside kicks? that are a necessary strategy at the end of games to try to get two scores in a short period of time to win the game. Don't know. The other question that really we don't know as fans or media, we don't know if the NFL truly wants the game to be safer or do they just want it to look safer. In other words, you could do something with the kickoffs or eliminate them entirely And it would only show up the safety gain of whatever percentage of concussions or injuries or knee injuries. It would only really show up at the end of the year in the spreadsheet, in the actual accounting of, well, this is how many of these we had this year. It wouldn't necessarily make the game look any safer. The game is going to look spectacularly dangerous and spectacularly violent on any given Sunday because the players are fast and athletic and have very low body fat these days, and weight train and speed train, and they hit the shit out of people. It's always going to look violent. So if the NFL is just trying to put lipstick on this and make the league, the game look better, I'm not sure any of these things are going to work. And the other thing is, well, define safe. When you say you want the league, you want the game safer, is it only head injuries? Is it only spine injuries? What about The safety of one's Achilles or their knees or their hips or anything else. Does that count as safety? All questions, I'm sure, will someday get the answers to. Speaking of safety in sports, one word of, I guess, caution for those that are freaking out over this. They're going to ruin football. Other sports have done a lot of things over the years. As I was thinking about this, they've done a lot of things over the years to make sports safer or just to cut the bullshit in other sports like baseball. Baseball put in beanball rules and the beanball ejections have been inconsistent and uneven through the years. And it got a lot of calls to a lot of radio shows when they would happen. But it's kind of settled in. It's now accepted in the sport and it has curtailed beanball brawls and beanball wars And that's a good thing because it's insanely dangerous to be throwing at guys' heads. New slide rules put in a couple years ago after Buster Posey broke his leg. A lot of people didn't like those. A lot of people still don't like those. Work in progress. We're a couple years in now, and I think people are starting to slowly accept it. Hockey. Got rid of bench-clearing brawls back in the 80s. They were completely out of hand. They started slapping severe draconian penalties on any player to leave the bench during a fight and penalties on the coaches on top of that who were quietly encouraging their goon squads to go out there and start absolute melees on the ice. People didn't really get hurt per se. This wasn't so much a safety thing, but hockey said, you know what? This is bad for our sport. A little bit of fighting, we can deal with that. These brawls where everyone's on the ice and it takes 30 minutes, no. That's not good for our image. We look like a backwoods, non-modern sport if we have this still going on. They got rid of it. NBA instituted the flagrant one and the flagrant two. Again, very controversial. Gets a lot of calls to radio. I can't believe that was a flagrant two last night. They put in the severe penalties for coming off the bench themselves, did the NBA, under David Stern's watch which affected the outcome of several postseason playoff series, as we all know. Guess what? The NBA didn't care. They said, we are cutting this shit out now. I think it was the Jeff Van Gundy swinging on the leg of Alonzo Mourning in the famous Knicks-Heat playoff battles of the 90s that finally got the NBA to go, this is fucking crazy, we've got to put an end to this. So there's a sport that improve safety. NASCAR installed you know, foam walls or restrictor plates along the way and mandated the Hans device. So I'm not anti-safety. I'm just pointing out a lot of sports moved the needle and said, we don't have to have this on our sport. Is football doing the right thing here with this targeting rule? Only time will tell. But I don't like the way it was passed. I don't like the fact that they didn't tell anyone that this was item number 11 on what they had said was a 10-item sheet Of rules considerations. Now to Odell Beckham Jr. Should the Giants trade Odell Beckham Jr.? Of course they should. Of course they should dump this guy. He's not that good. I'm going to call him the Carmelo Anthony of the NFL. Oh, I can't believe you're saying that. Yeah. How's Carmelo Anthony doing in Oklahoma City said he's adjusting to a new role but guess what he's not having an impact he didn't have an impact as a star he didn't attract anyone to go play with him he's not doing much now in OKC okay let me get off of Carmelo back to Odell Beckham Jr. I'm telling you if this guy didn't have the one-handed catch there wouldn't be talk of well two number ones you know maybe the Browns ought to be interested in that maybe take a run at it. maybe give a first and a third he's not that good He's good for highlights. He's good for going on boat trips. He's good for acting like a petulant, spoiled baby, which a lot of wide receivers are. He's not a difference maker. Of course the Giants should trade him, especially because he's threatening to hold out if he doesn't get a new contract with two years left and with all the stuff that's going on off the field. The only problem is it might be too late for the Giants. Because there is so much attention, so much swirl, there is that sense of inevitability that's going to get a lot of teams to start quietly pulling their draft picks off the table and put it back into their pocket and say, well, let's just wait you out on this right now. The best time to trade a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. would have been when nobody saw it coming. The best time to trade him would have been when the punditry of the sports world, the hot takers on facts versus volume and, oh, yeah, did so, did not, or whatever the shows are on ESPN and Fox Sports. The best time to trade Odell Beckham Jr. or any player is when the pundit shows say, what are you crazy for trading this asshole? Or not asshole. What are you crazy for trading this guy? He's a great, he's a top three receiver in the NFL. Because the Giants... I'm sure at this point, or I'm sure at that point, they they had already known that Odell Beckham Jr. was an asshole and a problem and a guy that doesn't get it. That's when they should have traded him. I think it's almost too late now, but we shall see. To golf, Pro Tracer at Augusta. Hallelujah. It's about damn time. We have had the Pro Tracer technology in golf now on television for several years at least. And the Masters has steadfastly not used it. Or the CBS broadcast gurus, uh, Sean McManus being the head of CBS Sports, and I believe Lance Barrow still is the producer of that telecast, they've liked the traditional, simple broadcast. Well, they finally relented and said, okay, we're going to use it on CBS, but only on the weekends and only on five holes, numbers 9, 10, 13, 15, and 18, which is a start. People have been telling me, hey, you know, if you uh, watch the international feed on Sky Sports, they've got the Shot Tracer, the Pro Tracer, at Augusta. And I think you can get that feed online Ah, next week is going to be glorious at the Masters. You know, this Pro Tracer technology is coming to driving ranges Near you, in fact, Top Golf, the company that does the driving ranges with the targets out there that register your golf ball. The golf ball has a chip in them. If you don't know what Top Golf is, go look it up online. Top Golf—they've got locations in like twelve cities in uh, the all over the country, including Vegas now. Oh, you want to know? Have I done it? Yes, I've done Top Golf. I was at one of the first Top they ever made, which was in Alexandria, yeah, Alexandria, Virginia. And they've since built one right near Redskins Park in Ashburn. I've been there once. And I've been to one in another city. Was it Houston or Phoenix? I can't remember. I did not go to the one in Vegas. It's fine. It's, it's fun. I don't like it because at least the golf balls that they use at the location near Ashburn or in Ashburn near Redskins Park, I know for a fact, don't fly the full distance. They are reduced flight golf balls. I know they're going to not want me saying that. And for some people, they're like, well, who cares? The answer is if you're playing a game to hit targets 135, 165, 185 yards out, you want to hit the club that usually hits at 185. You don't have to say, well, normally I'd hit a seven iron that far, but now I've got to hit a six iron or a five iron. That just sort of Defeats the purpose of it, if you ask me. It's also not cheap either, but it's a fun thing to do. And I think they said like 80% of their customers are basically non golfers. So, whatever. But back to so, Top Golf bought the Pro Tracer technology. They now call it Pro or Top Tracer. And they're going to bring that technology to driving ranges because that's how good the technology is getting. I was watching some videos on this online before sitting down to record today, and apparently with just one set of cameras, one computer processor, they claim they can track up to 20, 20 different hitting bays at a driving range, uh, double-decker, at a single time. And that the information, that the, the tracer shots get sent to your phone or your tablet or a screen that is displayed at every hitting bay at this top-range concept. I've never seen an actual top-range concept, but it apparently is coming soon. What I really want is I want glasses, sunglasses, that show the Pro Tracer flight for you and your buddies when you're out playing golf. And guess what? That's going to happen someday. I am as certain of that as I am of robot football on the moon. It's just a matter of time. There's even an app for your phone, which purports to be able to, after you record a shot, superimpose a Pro Tracer line, but it doesn't work. I downloaded it. It sucks. Don't get it. It requires you to take a video, and then it requires you to manually, with your finger, go, okay, well, the ball went here, and then it landed here, and then I'm going to pick the basic shot shape about how high it was. Okay, hit processing. And then it processes your video to superimpose the line, and it takes forever, and it works, oh, maybe 20% of the time at best. Welcome, Pro Tracer, to the Masters. There's a cricket scandal that has rocked the sport on multiple continents. Yes, a cricket scandal. What could possibly rock the world of cricket, you ask? Well, the answer is scuffing, ball scuffing uh where did this go hold on a second i'm gonna find it for you there it is okay two windows got it uh steve smith who plays cricket for the australian national team has issued a heartfelt apology for scuffing the cricket ball with sandpaper in other words he pulled the old phil necro but unlike necro i don't know how many games he got for using a nail file i don't recall phil necro giving a blubbery apology like a bitch and acting like he had ruined baseball forever i believe phil necro's like all right caught me sorry here was an emotional steve smith apologizing to everybody under the sun for his horrible and inexcusable act that has stained the game he loves
1: It was a failure of leadership, of my leadership. I'll do everything I can to make up for my mistake and the damage it's caused. (laughs) If any good can come of this.
0: By the way, I think you got enough photographs of him blubbering up there, but go ahead. Keep ripping off those frames, Photogs. If it
1: can be a lesson to others, then I hope I can be a force for change.
0: Oh, yeah, see? You're going to turn yourself into a hero. A lesson for others. Don't fucking cheat at Cricket. (gasps) He's gasping for air.
1: I know I'll regret this for the rest of my life. I'm absolutely gutted. Gutted. I hope in time...
0: He's a good-looking guy, by the way. I
1: can earn back respect and forgiveness. Oh, yes. I've been so privileged and honored to represent my country and captain the Australian cricket team.
0: Ah, captain. Cricket is the greatest game in the world. Uh, We can debate that later.
1: It's been my life. And I hope it can be again. I'm sorry, and I'm absolutely devastated.
0: Okay. Well, you know, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're making fun of the guy. who's was giving an honest apology. All right, fine. Fine. I was kind of mocking him just a bit. Uh, Smith, along with Vice Captain David Warner, apologized. Warner, in a tweet, said, It's a stain on the game we all love, and I've loved since I was a boy. Both men were banned for 12 months by Cricket Australia and Bancroft received a nine-month ban. That's the uh, uh, Batsman. Batsman Cameron Bancroft. I guess he was involved in it as well. He got a nine-month ban after the three conspired to scuff up the ball with sandpaper during the third test against South Africa. Darren Lehman, the team's coach, announced that he would step down after the fourth and final test, so the coach has been wrapped up in this as well. I'd love to know exactly how Scuffing up the ball really helps. I am guess it's probably just like uh, in baseball. Get extra spin, you get funny spin, you get better grip or something like that. Don't cheat, man. Of course, I'm looking at the Twitter replies to this apology. They're pretty funny. Photoshops of, uh, of Steve Smith with a Black & Decker sander in his hand out on the cricket pitch. Is it the pitch or the field? Bunch of crying memes, etc. So, yeah. Cricket scandal. Who said the sport was free of controversy? Lamar Jackson Pro Day is going on right now on Thursday. And he has apparently decided not to run the 40 in his Pro Day. Just like he did not run the 40 at the Combine. Furthermore, reports today say that Lamar Jackson is a difficult guy to schedule for meetings with prospective teams that could draft him. None of this is a good sign for him in terms of being drafted along, very high, at least in the top ten, with the other notable prospects like Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, and uh, Sam Darnold. Of course, a lot of media members are very invested in Lamar Jackson, and there is a racial undertone and a narrative to this that we've talked about before, and it's going to keep being brought up but Lamar Jackson is not doing himself any favors with this because if you don't want to run at one of the two places that's fine you should probably run I'm guessing either at your pro day or at the combine certainly won't hurt Lamar Jackson that's one of his strengths unless he wants to downplay the whole speed of a running quarterback because of guys like Bill Polian, who said he ought to change to wide receiver. If Lamar Jackson ran a super awesome 40-yard dash time, it might embolden more people to go, you know what? Play receiver. You're too athletic. You don't need to play quarterback. Either way, he's made a huge mistake, Lamar Jackson, in not hiring an agent. He has his mom, and we all love our moms, handling his affairs leading up to the draft, and he's going to save the 1.5. max on his deal by having his mom be his agent. Although, I'm not sure if his mom might actually charge that much or more. You know mama's going to get her cut, or Lamar is going to take care of mom anyway once he gets paid in the NFL. An agent is really critical this time of the year leading up to the draft because A, he would be able to schedule Lamar with teams more seamlessly so they think, okay, he's got his act together. Uh, the agent might say, "Look, run here, don't run there. This is what we're going to do. I know how to manage it. I've done this before." An agent is the guy that's your mouthpiece that talks up and talks into the ears behind the scenes and off record to a number of, you know, influential NFL reporters that can talk your game up. A good agent can move you, Lamar, from 15 to five in the NFL draft, and that would be worth millions. At least a million, maybe $2 million if you can make a a half of a round move uh, because your agent is doing a good job. We've seen it before with guys like Drew Rosenhaus who basically talked the Bills into drafting, was it Willis McGahee, who had blown out his knee at Miami, wasn't going to play as a rookie because he came into the draft having blown out his knee in a bowl game. They still took him in the late first round. It was one of the all-time masterful agent jobs that we have ever seen. All right, one more today. We'll leave you this non-sports story. Apparently, turtles have learned karate. What? What? Yes. Headline in the Telegraph UK. Turtles evolved to use flippers like hands and karate chop prey. Yeah! These are sea turtles we're talking about. They've evolved to use their flippers as hands, grasping jellyfish, and even karate chopping their prey, according to scientists. Previously, it was thought that the brains of these reptiles were too small to handle the dexterity required for manipulating objects with their limbs. Instead, it was thought they simply used their flippers to swim and change direction. But, after scouring photos and videos of marine turtles, researchers at the Monterey Bay Aquarium in California have discovered the creatures are actually surprisingly nimble. Images show the, the turtles karate chopping and carrying jellyfish prey, uh, rolling a scallop along the seafloor, grasping coral to eat the sponge clinging to its surface, and even pushing against a reef for leverage while ripping loose an anemone. anemone, anemone. In fact, researchers identified at least eight different kinds of flipper manipulation, including holding, digging, striking, tossing, leveraging, swiping, corralling, and pounding. They were even seen licking their fingers, quote, after eating. Mmm. That is some good jellyfish right there. Dr. Kyle Van Houten, science director at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Kyle Van Houten. Isn't that, uh, isn't that a Simpsons name? Uh, Van Houten. Uh... Simpsons. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to do the podcast here and think at the same time. Uh the nerd buddy of Bart. Van Houten. It's uh uh Kirk. Oh, it's Kirk. Millhouse. There we go. Millhouse. <laughs> Bart. Oh, turtles. Uh Millhouse's dad, Kirk Van Houten. Um, yeah. Uh, Kirk, Luann, and Milhouse, and I believe uh, Kirk and Luann ended up getting divorced, but I digress. Uh, Different guy, Kyle Van Houten, at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, uh, led the research and said that the sea turtles are much more advanced than we thought they were before, including licking their fingers and doing karate chops. It's a... It's almost like uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles. If one of the turtles starts eating pizza, then we know they really have evolved too far too fast. All right, thank you for listening, everybody. You know the drill. Tell two friends about this podcast. Get on Reddit, for God's sakes, and post something. Leave a positive review. Download, subscribe at all the major podcast outlets like iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, and more. And remember, as Mark Twain once said, never put off till tomorrow what you can do the day after tomorrow. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.